0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, I can promise you're in the right place. This is our first show of the new year for the Internet of Things with Game Changers series. Pleased to be here. So happy new year to everyone. And my mantra this year is happy sweet 16. I know it's 2016. Get rid of the 20, go with the 16. Hope everybody had a good sweet 16 when it was your turn in life probably many years ago. Very interesting topic today, and the buzz today is do good, or doing good, however you want to phrase that. Let's look at some questions here. When you look at high school students, you know they're not going to all graduate. They're not going to be all superstars academically. So is there a way to figure out which students are most at risk of dropping out anywhere before graduation. Could be the week before, the month before, or even in their second or third year of high school. Let's look at big city multifamily dwellings, residential buildings. We know there's something terrible out there called lead poisoning. Is there a way to figure out which buildings have a higher risk of lead poisoning that's going to impact the tenants, maybe the workers in the building? How can we know that? Let's look at another issue here. Expectant moms. Not everybody has a healthy pregnancy. Some moms would do well if they had the services of a visiting nurse, a home health aid. But how do we identify those expectant mothers? Well, these are social issues, they're important. I don't think anybody would disagree that there is value to looking at these and figuring out what we can do. Let's look at how do you get the data to figure out who these populations are and then how do you reach them, how do you help them. That was elusive in the past. However, now we have something called Data Science for Social Good, D-S-S-G. And guess what? Good news, they are training data scientists in how to do this. We've talked in the past on many of our recent shows and many of our past shows about the new job title of data scientist and every company needs them. But we're going to talk about data scientists' very specifically for social good. It's a great topic to kick off the new year. So what about the opportunities here? What about the challenges? What about the positive prospects for what we're going to talk about, the digital and data transformation of social benefits programs? I don't care who you are, where you are, your age, your position in life, your socioeconomic status, this is important for you, especially as we think about how we're going to make the world better this year. Amen. End of preaching to the choir. I have a panel of three experts who know what they're talking about. They're going to help enlighten and educate us. First up on the panel, I'm very pleased to welcome Raid Ghani. He spells his name R-A-Y-I-D, last name G-H-A-N-I. If you want to look him up, he's the director of the University of Chicago Center for Data Science and Public Policy. And Raid sent me a fascinating quote, opened my eyes to something new, from an animated TV series back in, let's see, there were 1995 to 1998 in the last millennium. Uh, It was an Animaniac series produced by Warner Brothers called Pinky And the Brain, (laughs) these characters lived in a cage in something called the Acme Labs, and they tried to take over the world. That sounds so exciting. Here's the quote. Brain says, has it ever occurred to you, Pinklet, that your scarf is constricting the blood flow to your head? And Pinklet, aka Pinky, says, yes, and it keeps my neck all cozy warm. Raid Ghani, enlighten me. Who are Pinky in the Brain, and how did you pick them for your opening quote? Welcome, Raid. How are you?
2: Thank you. Good. Good. How are you?
1: I'm well. Very interesting quote. This is a newcomer, new for us. We've never had quote from an animated series on any of our Game Changer shows. So, talk to me. What is this all about?
2: Yeah, I'm surprised. I expected everybody who sort of grew up, you know, in in seventies, eighties, nineties, to have eventually have heard about Pinky in the Brain. It, it, it used to be one of one of my favorite cartoon shows when i when i was uh uh not really a kid but sort of post kid but um the 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 honestly i picked the code pretty much at random but i think it it very much uh talks to us about the state of a lot of the world today where we want to get something done in this case uh you know stay warm but we ended up um, fixing it by, by by sacrificing something else, which is probably more important. So we think a lot about short term gains and, and forget about the long term goal, um, which is
0: you know the brain.
2: Uh, so it, it's a it's a fun show. You should go watch it. It you know, the brain tries to take over the world. He wants to be a benevolent dictator, um, but his plans kind of almost fail because Pinky, his sidekick, um, is um, not really that smart. Um, so it's a fun show. Go check it out.
1: I will. And by the way, I grew up way before the seventies, eighties and nineties, right? So this, I'm going to have to ask my, my children and my grandchildren if they've heard of this, but I will find it. I have a question for you, a silly question. Is there a Mm -hmm. special voice that Pinky would have used? I, I only had my serious voice on, but is there a special, uh, a a voice that is identifiable as Pinky or is it, is it an animation voice? Can you uh, give us? Yeah.
2: they, they all have um, i mean, i wish i was a i was a voice person I would have done that voice but uh it they both have very very specific voices that are done by uh a a different uh a different person i think it was in the brain's voice was uh, i was actually looking it up last night uh and it kind of like a little bit of arson wells type voice uh oh. that was the brain and so uh, but I yeah, I wish I could do the voice.
1: Very interesting. I'll go take a look. And by the way, they produced sixty-five episodes and they were a spin-off from the Animaniac series. That's what I meant to say. Very interesting. Thank you for that provocative opening, Ray Ghani. Looking forward to a lot of good information from you. And joining us also on the panel today is Joe Walsh, a colleague of Raid's. Joe is a real data scientist, and we might have to pick his brain about how that job description looks, because we talk about it all the time. But I I don't know that we meet too many of those at the University of Chicago Center for Data Science and Public Policy. Joe has sent me a quote very surprisingly, also provocatively, from Chrissy Teigen. Uh, she's not a statesperson. She's not a philosopher. She's not a, a scientist. She's... Um, Not even a movie star, I don't think. But let me tell you who she is. Chrissy Teigen, full name is Christine Diane Teigen. And she's an American model who debuted in the annual, wait for it, kids, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue in 2010 and appeared on the cover alongside Nina Agdahl and Lily Aldridge in 2014. She hosts a, co-hosts a TV show called Lip Sync Battle with LL Cool J. I think he is cool. And she joined the lifestyle panel talk show Fab Life. Most interesting to us, to me, is that I know the name because she's married to singer-songwriter John Legend, and she appeared in his video of the song, All of Me, I Will Not Attempt to Sing It, Don't Worry, which was inspired by their beautiful relationship. So here's the quote from Chrissy Teigen. I can't swim, and I actually hate sand. I'm just going to stop right there. Joe Walsh, welcome to the show. How did we get Chrissy Teigen on a show about social good? you got to tell me.
3: Thanks so much. Uh, obviously, right. And I are people who like to think outside the quote box. Um, yeah, I, I just happened to come across this one on uh, social media, but I think that it kind of captures uh, what we often come across working in the social good sector. Um, here is one of the top models in the world. She's regularly photographed on sand and in water. And yet she's saying that she doesn't feel uh, comfortable in that environment. You never know it. Um, she still makes it happen, uh, and I think that there's something of a metaphor there that uh, there are lots of opportunities for, uh, like, progress, but um, it can make us really uncomfortable uh, in the social good sector. Um, and uh, especially with teamwork, Chris, Chrissy certainly doesn't do it on her own. She has a team of photographers and everyone else. Um, they all work together, and they're able to make this happen. So, yeah.
1: Very interesting. I like that. So that adds the the real – the aspect of we may be uncomfortable, and, and in my opening, Joe, I talked about things that might make us uncomfortable about who is at risk and which buildings maybe the landlords don't want us to know have high lead poisoning opportunities. And it's kind of messy when you look at kids who may not graduate and you know it's going to impact their opportunities for the rest of their life and their families and their communities. So this some of the social good stuff is uncomfortable and a little bit messy, would you agree?
3: Sure. And it's not even that, but uh, the the tools and techniques that we're using now uh, can be unfamiliar for the people who have been working in that space for a long time. So um, it it can be um, like some fear of the unknown. How is this working? What's happening? Uh, What data is being used and is it being used in the right way? And how do we know that um, the techniques that we're developing are better than what we're currently using?
1: Good point. Hence, I can't swim, and I actually hate sand. Now, it's absolutely perfect. Thank you, Joe Walsh. Welcome to the show, and let's bring on our third panelist. It's Doug Freud, exactly how it sounds, F-R-E-U-D, Freud, no relation, and he's with the SAP Global Hanna Center of Excellence, and Doug has sent me a quote from a very familiar name, Mark Twain, also known as, his full name Samuel Langhorn Clemens. He's an American author and humorist who wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and its sequel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn which is often called the great American novel and here's the quote. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Amen. We've had that on the show before and I love it and it's so appropriate for today. Doug Freud, you're calling all the way from where?
4: From Taipei today. So so the first thing is I need to correct you. I am a relation. Although I am not
2: responsible for any of the theories, (laughs) I am from the family, however, that brought you neurosis. So, uh, if you want to blame me for that, uh, feel free. Well, Um, I certainly will uh,
1: because I'm very familiar with that. So, 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 what time is it in Taipei? Let's do a little level (laughs) setting here. What time is it?
4: Uh, It is about 11 p.m. So, um, thank you. uh, But uh, super excited to to be on this panel and, and participating and. And the quote, I think, is is appropriate, especially for kind of, I think, people um, who are not used to working with data, not used to making data-based decisions. And a lot of those people, I think, are in the government and non-for-profit areas. And I think a lot of times they just make assumptions about their world. And, you know, in this world, which is changing faster than I think anyone can imagine, you know, a lot of times those assumptions just may be wrong. So uh, people should be making database decisions and they should be doing experiments and learning from them and then uh, and changing and adapting as the world changes quickly.
1: Who are these people we're talking about, Doug Freud? Uh, hopefully they don't have too many neuroses that are going to block their opportunity to do this. But uh, it, are these people like Joe Walsh, who is a bona fide real data scientist? Are these people who work for social social good, I'll call it organizations, who uh, are are supposed to care about this stuff? And we're going to get into this in a few minutes uh, when we start the roundtable after the break. And Raid and I are going to start off a conversation about... The problems that really matter versus the fluffy ones that most people are centered on. So, who are these people who should know what to do with all this, or or that who should know to care? Doug, any thoughts?
4: Well, I mean, I think I think these are the people who are who are you know passionate about their uh, about the non for profits they're working for, or for the government agencies that they're working for, and they can be you know in all sorts of sectors like social work or healthcare. And um, I think they're, you know, extremely, they have extremely important jobs. Uh, but they, you know, I think, as Raid will talk further, they're not necessarily trained on how to use data or how to make decisions or, or even, you know, just simple things like, you know, scientific method. And uh, they can be from all sorts of disciplines, whether it's social science or or, or just business backgrounds. Um, I think, you know, the important thing is that they've accepted, they've chosen roles that are, you know, important uh, to us as a society as a whole. and you know the, the important thing is they, they learn how uh, to stretch and grow and, and, and take, a, take availability of the, of the data, this myriad of data that's now available to help them make better decisions.
1: Thank you very much. I'm going to circle back. By the way, uh, Doug, thank you for joining us so late in the evening. We really appreciate it. Can't wait to hear what you're drinking when we get to you. Raid Ghani, I'm circling back to you. Raid, I'm assuming you're in Chicago today. Tell me if I'm wrong, and we'd love to know what's in your cup or what you're thinking about drinking after the show, right?
2: Um, yes, I am in Chicago, um, but it's it's too early for me to actually drink anything because um, what I would like to drink is, is snobby a uh, fancy espresso, and that takes a while to make. So you have to get your machine warmed up for about an hour. Um, oh. you have to, you know, uh, make sure you have fresh beans. You have to grind them. You have to weigh them. You have to tamp them. You have to put them in the machine. Get the machine at the right temperature and the pressure, and get a timer and a scale so you can get, you know, about one one point two ounces out in twenty to twenty two seconds, <laughs> and that takes. Being awake, and I'm I'm not that (laughs) awake right now to really do anything that expensive. So I'm not drinking anything, but I will as soon as I'm done.
1: Well, I'm very glad to hear that. It sounds like you're a coffee scientist. I like that very much. We have great respect for that. Uh, Some of us just use the little Nespresso machine, and it takes about 22 seconds for everything to come out, and it (laughs) looks and smells good. But I'm sure it's not as much of a holistic experience as you put yourself through. And I'm going to say that was great. Great admiration, Raid. You are dedicated. Okay, let's turn to Joe Walsh. Joe, are you in Chicago today as well? And tell me, what's the temperature there?
3: It's a balmy 29 degrees here. and uh, I'm looking out the window, uh, enjoying a cup of Kirkland signature whole bean coffee uh, that I just made fresh, uh, which is definitely an upgrade. I'm sure Raid will be happy to hear that I'm not drinking powdered coffee today.
1: And Kirkland, if I'm not mistaken, is the Costco brand. Am I correct?
3: It is. Fresh shipment yesterday. I'm very happy.
1: Signature. <laughs> I'm glad Kirkland has a signature brand coffee. I can just hear Raid grinding his teeth. Like, really? You call that coffee? But maybe we do. I'm very proud of you, Joe Walsh. And Doug Freud calling in at right now it must be eleven nineteen A what is it? PM? A it's PM, yes, in Taipei, Japan. PM. Uh, Doug, PM. what are you drinking uh, to this keep is, awake?
2: This is the-
4: uh, okay. I am, I will. Full disclosure. I am now. I have gone through all four Nespresso packets that are in the hotel room <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: to make sure that I'm
4: uh, uh, properly caffeinated for this uh, for this conversation.
1: Well, we really appreciate that. We really do. It's, it's potluck when you're in a hotel room, right? Whatever is there. Uh, by the way, the three of you don't know me very well or at all, but I typically am not allowed to have caffeinated beverages on radio show days. Uh, so, but I, I received a beautiful red. That's my color, radio red, a red Virtuline Nespresso machine. I'm not sure how Rayud feels about that Uh, for my my red kitchen and I am enjoying all kinds of interesting experiences and experiments with different coffee flavors, but I did not have any coffee today so it's just water for me. Cool, clear water with a green straw for oh, I don't know, green and happy and and uh, solid and and um, social good. We'll just say green for social good, going green for the New Year. So delighted to have the three of you on. We're going to take a quick break and give you a chance to refresh whatever you're drinking. We're speaking today with Raid Ghani, Director of University of Chicago Center for Data Science and Public Policy, his colleague Joe Walsh at the same organization who is a real data scientist, and we'll ask Joe when he speaks next to tell us what that really means, what he does, and Doug Freud from SAP Global HANA Center of Excellence who is calling us from Taipei 12 hours later. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and you are listening to the first show of the new year in our wonderful series called Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio and I have a quick shout out to whoever is on Twitter at Social Good Stuff. They just started following us and we're very happy to have you on board. Hope you're able to listen to the show either live right now or on demand later. So let's take a quick break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app that dial. We're coming back with a lot more. You need to know social benefits programs. It might be part of what you do. It might be part of what you want to do, but you definitely need to know what's happening in this space. So let's just say to our engineer, Justin out.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers.
1: Welcome back. We're talking today about doing good, specifically social good. And we're looking, of course, since this is Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, we're looking at digital and data makeovers for the new year and beyond, of course. My panel today, Raid Ghani. University of Chicago Center for Data Science and Public Policy, joined by his colleague Joe Walsh at the same organization, and Doug Freud at the SAP Global HANA Center for Excellence. Shout out to the series sponsor, Ira Burke, who is listening on the line and, and tweeting. He's uh, capturing some of the quotes and some of the comments here. So, by the way, we're tweeting at hashtag SAPRADIO. I know you can all spell that now. And a shout out again to Social Good Stuff, who just decided to follow us, which is great. So, right Raid has graciously agreed to open the round table with me. Raid, you sent me some very provocative comments here and, and let's go be a little bit judgmental here in our start. I'm gonna start off with this statement you sent me. You say a lot of smart people today are solving useless problems figuring out which ads to show people well anybody who's selling anything wouldn't say that's useless Raid. suggesting friends on Facebook well anybody who's looking for popularity wouldn't say that's useless recommending movies I, I, I will not comment on that and getting us to buy more things we probably do not need Raid, where are you coming from let's start off our conversation
2: I mean, what better way to start the morning than be judgmental? You know, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only way to live. Is, uh, is your middle
1: initial J? I have to ask you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm being provocative on purpose, but I think, uh, I, I think, you know, that there are there are useful problems, there are neutral problems, and there are useless problems, and, and the ones I'm talking about, um, of course, they're useful to somebody, um, but. You know, uh, it, they're not really making, um, if you live in the Bay Area, making the world a better place, right? Because um, you you have a responsibility to do something useful with the skills you have. And people like us who have um, tech and data skills, they're not that common. Uh, we really need to do our part by helping um, improve people's lives. And we're not doing that. None of these, you know, we don't really need to see more recommendations of friends on Facebook. We know who our friends are. Um, Netflix movie recommendations, not so good, not making my life better. Um, and if you actually even assume that they are improving somebody's life, you know, if you're saving me two seconds a day, it's not a life changing two seconds. The same time you're spending on improving ads on Facebook, that can save millions of people. It can improve quality of life, education, health outcomes for millions of people. And I'm not even exaggerating. It's the, the same thing people do in those companies. They can spend their time uh, and, and have a real impact. And there are a lot of reasons why they don't do that. We can go into that later. Um, but but I think we, we do have a responsibility to spend some time. I'm not saying you quit your job and, 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 and you know start doing useful things for the world. But I think we need to all spend some time doing that. And everybody wants to. I think most people just don't know how to get started.
1: So tell me, how do we turn their head around before we get Joe and Doug in on this conversation? How do we get people to care about problems that we here today are saying, this is what really matters, social good, changing the world for the better, people you've never heard of, people you've never seen, people you'll never meet. How do you get people to care, right?
2: I think everybody cares, um, and everybody wants to do something um, to to make a difference. I think most people just... Um, don't really know how to do that. They don't know what problems are relevant to the skills they have. Because when you go to a typical nonprofit and you want to help them, they'll tell you, oh, can you go paint this house? Or can you, uh, you know, do some gardening and it'll help us? Or can you, you know, distribute food? Those are extremely useful things. They're just not as useful as you could be. And I think that the key is to, one, show them that the skills they have can make an impact. And then, two... Connect them with the right nonprofits and the right government agencies who can actually use their skills and turn them into impact.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Joe Walsh, what sayest you? Talk to us.
3: Yeah, uh, building on uh, what Raid has uh, said already is that. Um, and this really goes to what a data scientist is, which is something that you brought up earlier in the show. Um, yes, we work with data, we try to manipulate the data, extract information from it that someone can use, um, and all of that, but a lot of the the work uh, really comes at the beginning, um, and perhaps even at the end of the process, and not in the middle where you're working with the data. Um, And that's coming up with the questions. And so uh, when a lot of people, say, at a nonprofit or a government, are thinking about using their data, uh, they have not been exposed to a lot of the problems that can be solved, or they don't think in those terms. Um, And they will think uh, in more traditional ways. So like program justification is certainly a big thing uh, among um, government and nonprofit uh, people who work with data. They want to know that they're doing a good job, um, not only because that you know that helps them uh, know that they're doing good in the world, but also it can help bring in money to do more good in the world. Um, but that's really a, a tougher problem than what a lot of uh, nonprofits and governments could be doing with their data. Um, like program improvement is certainly something; it's a lower uh, lower hanging fruit on the tree. Um, people don't think about that. Uh, and um, they could be using uh, skills that they have to solve that problem, do a better job of what they're doing right now, don't just focus on uh, justifying the program. Um, so uh, definitely project scoping uh, is a big thing And uh, to when it comes to data science. And um, nonprofits and governments, uh, when they see other applications of uh, project scopes uh, with data, uh, Non-traditional applications um, that really helps them, and that's something that Data Science for Social Good has been doing for the past three summers, doing projects to uh, help nonprofits and governments discover ways that they could be using their data.
1: Joe, before I, b- I bring in Doug on this, I want to ask you. To whom does this appeal, your organization, your projects? Are we talking about millennials? Are we talking about any particular uh, what we'll call a demographic cohort, meaning a a segment of population defined by their their birth date or their age group is this something that is appealing to the younger generation is this something that the and we'll get into this with doug a little later about uh, where fundraising seems to hit the heart hit, hit the best hit the heart of people who get a, an appeal or receive a plea in the mail or however you're you're reaching them so is there a, a demographic that is more amenable to the right kinds of problems that need to be solved any thoughts on that
3: Uh, Well, I think that a lot of uh, younger people um, tend to be more open to this type of work. Um, Maybe they haven't been um, as entrenched or as ingrained uh, in traditional ways of thinking. Um, So uh, it's easier for them and more appealing for them to uh, go ahead and adopt these types of methods. Um, And a lot of uh, the younger generations also have just grown up with computers. It's Mm -hmm. uh, second nature to them. Um, at the same time, though, uh, and so we, we draw a lot of our fellows from primarily from the graduate student uh, population, but if you look at the partners that we've had, um, ages vary drastically, um, and a lot of people in these organizations from top to bottom are really interested in this work because they do recognize um, that it can be helpful to uh, their, their program. Um, they might not know how to do it themselves. Uh, but they are able to understand that what we're doing is useful.
1: Thank you very much, Joe. Doug Freud, we've had a lot covered so far in this part of our roundtable opening. What would you like to add?
4: Well, it, it kind of brings to mind a, a quote that a professor, I don't said it originally, but told me once when I was in college, which was, which is, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart and if you're not a conservative when you're old you have no brain uh, <laughs> however so I guess that that means for me is that perhaps i I've, I've never really had a brain because um i've, I've al- although i although i i work for the man um i I totally support kind of this this notion of of, of giving back so uh you know it, it's just it's just part of something you know you should do so I, I i've done the I've done the 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 useless type of data science that Raid is preferred to of uh, trying to convince people to stay with something that I, I didn't believe in uh, or I knew there was better alternatives uh, to. And so I, I, so when he said that, I'm like, Oh God, I've done that.
2: (laughs) So yeah,
4: I, I think that even, even if you do have a kind of corporate, uh, role, you you sh- you know it, it's important, in a, you know that you give back in some way, and so I you know uh, I've, and so yes, well I think the the fellows that are part of the program tend to be you know uh, you know graduate students. Um, I think you know the mentors that um, uh, you know come from all all ages of, of of life, and I think you know at some point you you know it, it's it's really good to give back in some way. And it it, 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 and what I, when the limited role I've had with uh, data science for social good, mm-hmm. it's, it's been very rewarding and very, uh, it, 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 you, you not only are doing something good, but you're also learning something. Oh, I like oh, that a engaging.
1: lot. I like that a lot, Raid, I'm going to circle back to you and ask you if you want to add anything to what your co-panelists just shared, and then I want to hit on a couple more points from you before we move on to some talking points from Joe and Doug. So, anything you want to add at this point, Raid?
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, I think I, 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 I want to make sure people who are listening to the uh, to, to the show realize, you know, I, I, I'm not uh, I'm not asking or suggesting everybody should quit their jobs at SAP and IBM and Google and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Foursquare and Pinterest and, and go work for a nonprofit because that industry can't sustain or support everyone. Um, mm-hmm. What I'm sort of what I'm hoping for is that everybody with certain types with whatever skills they have tries to do a little bit of effort to understand what problems out there can use their skills and then um, do skills-based volunteering in some way like Doug, you know, when I was talking about, he spent time mentoring the the fellows in in, in our program. Or go out to your local nonprofit or government and say, hey, how can I help? Direct the work that your company is doing to make sure that that it's benefiting um, you know the the people who need the help in addition to your regular day to day job so it, it's really not about quitting and going into the nonprofit space and being poor uh, forever it's about um, augmenting what you're doing day to day and making sure that, that that there's a social mission um, that's very much skill space because we don't have enough of these skills right now and and the rare skills that we do have they're being used for for problems that that are you know what I call useless but I don't really mean that.
1: <laughs> he recants, he <laughs> recants. Okay, we'll have to tweet that one. Uh Raid, I just want to cover a little more from your talking point so you say data science can help solve four key problems for governments and nonprofits. Could you just briefly take us through these so that people know very specifically what you're talking about, please?
2: Yeah, I mean over the past as Joe was talking about over the past few years We've worked um, with you know uh, lots and lots of governments and nonprofits, and we've talked to hundreds of them and After working after talking to them about what problems they face, what we sort of realized is that uh, you know a lot of these problems fall into kind of four key areas. Um, the first one is people so schools want to know, can I figure out as you're talking about? Who's going to drop out early, so I can give them the right mm-hmm. support they need? Uh, public health departments want to figure out who are the people living in their cities or states um, mm-hmm. who are going to be at risk of some sort of public health uh, uh, problem, for example, lead mm-hmm. poisoning or HIV, so they can give them early support. Uh, so, so there's this, you know, police department um, very timely. Are, uh, are looking at how can I figure out which police officers are likely to be at risk of having adverse interactions with the public like we hear about mm. in the media so we can give mm. them early training and support and, and interventions. So there's this big clause of early warning systems problem that pretty much every uh, every major city, state, country, nonprofit faces. Um, and we've been working over the past few years with all these problems. The second one is as usual, everybody has limited resources. So they need to figure out where to prioritize their resources. So cities that are doing home inspections, um, they want to figure out which, which homes to inspect. And they have, you know, uh, 400,000 homes in the city. They only have uh, resources to inspect 10,000 of them. Which 10,000 should they be? Um, mm-hmm. EPA has the same problem. There are half a million facilities around the, the, the country that have uh, potential violations of uh, uh, waste, um, uh, of, 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 you know, manufacturing waste. They can only inspect a small percentage, 5%, 1%. How should they prioritize? That's a key problem, that prioritizing resource allocation. Um, the third one is um, a lot of organizations have a goal to improve something, uh, unemployment, blight, home abandonment. We've worked with an organization in Mexico. we work worked with Cincinnati on blight. They want to figure out what policy changes can I make to improve that outcome. Um, how do I figure out looking at data, what's happened in the past, and figure out the best policy change to make? And then lastly, oh, everybody's trying to do something to improve uh, what what they care about. They want to figure out what impact did these policies have. I've been doing something for three years, four years, two months. Um, can you tell me what impact did my policy have so I can use that to figure out how to improve those policies, and how to optimize the goal. So those are the four clauses that will be found of early warning systems, uh, resource allocation, prioritization, policy changes, recommendations, and impact evaluation that most of these problems fall into.
1: Thank you, Raid. Great, great framework for us. And Joe Walsh, I'm going to bring you in here as our data scientist. First of all, Joe, can you quickly tell us or briefly tell us, not fast, what is a data scientist? What would that job description look like? And then I'd like you to help us figure out how would you as a data scientist act on these this framework that Raid just described in terms of how do you find the data that tells you which students are most likely to drop out before graduation or which apartments have lead poisoning that could read it, reach a toxic level in the next, let's say six to 12 months. So is this a question of questionnaires? Is this a question of going door to door? Do you have the data available? So first, what's your job description, Joe?
3: Uh, data science is a pretty broad term and is used, uh, differently pretty much by whoever you ask. Uh, if you go out to Silicon Valley, they'll, uh, often call people data scientists uh, who do a lot of uh, database queries and that type of thing. Um, To me, a data scientist is someone who is combining uh, statistics or some kind of data analysis with uh, some kind of computational skills and also some kind of substantive knowledge to solve a problem. Um, And that last part is really key. Uh, that uh, we can go ahead and we can predict a lot of things. But if you can't take action on those predictions, um, then who really cares about it? Uh, so uh, that's what I would say a very quick summary of a data scientist is. Um, the projects that I've worked on here at uh, Data Science for Social Good and the Center um, have been things like uh, predicting which kids in Chicago are likely to get lead poisoning, and um, predicting which officers are likely to have adverse interactions, uh, as Raid mentioned. Also, some other um, off-the-beaten-path type projects would be to bring government transparency to public uh, so we can identify uh, very quickly um, earmarks in federal legislation thanks to uh, computation and statistics and substantive knowledge, and we have also built tools to look at where state legislation is coming from, not just from other states, but even from the lobbying groups that are originally writing
1: it. Thank you very much. Doug Freud, want to get you in on this. Any thoughts on the framework Raid described before I cover some of your uh, very interesting, provocative points you sent me? Doug?
4: Yeah, well, I um, I think uh, uh, Raid's framework is spot on. Um, I, I would just uh, like to kind of echo uh, what I see... Uh, Joe talked about which is uh data science is data science is a team sport <laughs> and it it really requires lots of different skills and um uh right once told me and, and once he told to me i said oh yeah of course it's true you, you it's it, the math is only about 30 percent of the issue you know getting getting things you know so you can take action on them and Getting uh, getting people to change the way they do business processes in the corporate world or policy changes, you know, within uh, government. That's that's the hard work, <laughs> the change management, so to speak. So, uh, in in uh, actually, one of the things I really like about uh, the the SSG program is uh, is when the, when they set up a uh, when they set up a they set up a team to go tackle a problem. It's not a one person. A uh, data science person who tries to do everything—it's it, it, a team sport, and it, it needs a—it needs a kind of a cooperative approach.
1: Thank you, Doug Freud. You sent me so much good information. I want to just go through a list here and cover a lot. And if Raid and Joe have anything, you can just chime in, just just bump in, jump in, and, and interrupt us. Let's talk about fundraising because that seems to be something that uh, people relate social good to. Oh, you want my money? you now will take it on a credit card or you'll take it on PayPal or you'll take it on some some uh, some way I just open my wallet and walk by some machine and all of a sudden it's pulled $1,000 in contributions out of me. So the business of nonprofits raising funds and let's talk about the history of how that was typically done and then let's talk about the dark side of data science. So, Doug, you want to just go through these for me, please?
4: Sure. So... Um so I have worked with, um, uh, with companies that, uh, that help uh, non-for-profits uh, in their business, and in which is how do they fund their, uh, the non-for-profit. And uh, there's a variety of different models for the way a non-for-profit can get funded. Uh, there's all sorts of you know, money out there in various different places, but one common approach is to do direct mail. And um, uh, the you know you you, know, you have lists of people and you target who you think is most most likely to, uh, to give you
2: uh,
4: and fund you and you and these people a lot of them build models and they're and, they're, and uh, they and uh, they surprisingly um, I've I found them somewhat sophisticated on how the and, and how they build models and and, and implement um, uh, the challenge is the direct mail. Uh, channel is uh, not going to be effective, uh, I think, long term, because uh, mm-hmm. most people uh, my age, let alone the the millennials, just you know don't don't open email, yet alone direct mail. So I think there's there's going to be challenges of how they can you know they're not going to be able to you know continually fund when the average age of someone giving is you know 68. So so these are some I think real serious challenges, and they're going to have to kind of. Take different approaches um, on on uh, other than just direct mail or other just dialing for dollars um, there's going to be other other ways whether it be social media or experiential marketing or, or, or other approaches that I think they're really going to need to adopt
1: Okay. and let's I think for a lot of them
4: that's going to be a scary transition
1: okay let's talk about the dark side uh, of data science what do you see
4: so uh, the, the dark side of data science is, you know, so we've been talking about all the good you can do. But in the mm-hmm. in, 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 right of, in, in, in you mentioned, yeah, there's also useless things you can do. But there's also, I think, in newer developments that, that are, we're starting to see real advancements in, in machine learning, what's now being called deep learning. And I think we're starting to get into an age of what we're going to call, you know, AI, artificial intelligence. And I, and I see that, I, I believe that, and it's not just me, I think there's other people starting to talk about, there are people who, there are people who do jobs that, you know, maybe five years from now, those jobs will be replaced. So uh, by, like, for example, self-driving cars. What's going to happen to the Uber drivers and the taxi drivers of the world if the cars just drive themselves? So I think there is the potential, for, and in all this, this self-driving car, how is that going to happen, it's going to be via data science. It's going to be people, you know, creating the software via the sensors to do all this in an automated way. And I think that the challenge for us is not just to kind of blindly go ahead, but just to ask questions: Do we really need? Do we really need the self-driving car? Or is it? Re, you know, what's, you know, there's going to be some advantages, sure, but what uh, what's the what are the implications, implications going to be? And it's not going to just be you know laborers. It's going to be some knowledge workers as well, and you know if 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 uh, um, if a machine learning algorithm can read uh, an MRI much more reliably, much better than the doctor can, and we don't need these types of you know people doing it, uh, what, what's what's the implication of that going to be? And I think these are, these are the things that we're it, we're just going to start to see, and I think over the next five years it, it's there's 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 going to be all sorts of potential disruption as,
1: as a result. Thank you. And, and let's talk about another form of disruption that's very troublesome to a lot of people, the question of privacy. And, and I'm looking at your notes. So you say data is the new oil. Pictures are the new data. And one of the privacy issues could be models that use facial recognition, and and Doug and Raid and Joe, we see this on the TV, uh, what do they call them, the procedural shows all the time, where they'll go into a facial recognition database of somebody who's known to CSI or NCSI or FBI or whatever organization it is, and they'll go through thousands, millions of faces until they have the data recognition points, and they say, aha, she's in the database, she's a known felon, blah, blah, blah. So what about the privacy issue in terms of how data? as scientists will handle that. Is that something that's out of control already, Doug?
4: Well, I don't know if it's out of control already, but, I mean, I could just see, you know, retailers, um, you know, retailers have challenges of a lot of times they just don't know who's in their store or who's buying what. And I could just see them wanting to know, boy, they're coming, to the, they're coming into our store, you know, why don't we have the right to take the picture and, you know, you know figure out who they are. And then figure out what to offer them, but you know the the the, the privacy issues and the legal issues. I'm from from our legislators. I'm sure are way behind on this type of stuff, having to begin begin to address these issues. And uh, it, it, it's I think it's going to happen. I think the people are going to want to do this. And again, what are, what are the costs? What are the privacy costs? And you know I think you know a lot of the data scientists are just you know. Maybe, you know, maybe they're solving useless problems or not. They're, you know, people are just going to charge ahead, and um, I think, you know, I think we need to we need to ask ourselves questions: Is this the right thing to do? What what, what are our privacy rights? What what are, what are our expectations going to be? And I and I'm not sure our legislatures are sophisticated enough to even be thinking about these issues yet.
1: Yeah. And, and Doug, perhaps a field where this is burgeoning more than anywhere else is in healthcare, where we have, getting back to the theme of this series, IoT, Internet of Things, we have electronic medical records, we have sensors in all kinds of devices that can now help us to, uh, Help us gather genomic data, personal health data, and the privacy issue there. I'm going to have you approach that really quickly, and then I want to get Raid's and Joe's thoughts on the privacy issue of data science for social good. Go ahead, Doug, first, please.
4: Yeah. So just quickly, just you know, there there is a lot of privacy law with respect to HIPAA, and but you know, I guess the question is if. Uh, and it, that makes a lot of times doing research very, very difficult, as I think Raed can uh, <laughs> does personally uh, so uh, the you know, the question is if we could get that data and we can combine the different data from across the healthcare spectrum from the providers to the payers to the the pharma people, what kind of problems healthcare kinds of problems could we solve we 've got a healthcare system we can 't afford now, and if we could mm-hmm improve outcomes via data science. This is an incredible opportunity for social good, and I would hate to see kind of HIPAA legislation that was created a long time ago in a much different age kind of impede
1: that. Thank you, Doug. Raid, got to get you in on this. It's been a while since we heard from you. I know we've been going through a list of topics with Doug. Thoughts? Let's focus on privacy because we're almost ready for our predictions round. We've got seven minutes left till the end, but I'd love to have a minute of your conversation, your topic uh, focus here, Raid, on the privacy issue in terms of data science for good.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think any, any discussion about the use of data eventually will lead to um, a discussion on privacy. I don't know what somebody should name this a law of some sort. Um, and, and I think the, the, the thing to, to keep in mind, it, it's a very important topic. It's something that we should discuss. And, and But one thing to keep in mind is, is it's a trade-off. Um, you can have perfect privacy and um, zero benefits. Um, uh, and on the other hand, you can have a lot of benefits to people. And I imagine the people who are going to uh, their lives are destroyed because they got lead poison or they dropped out of school and, they, and, and their lifetime earnings went down by, you know, 80 percent or um, there are a lot of pretty horrible, you know, your home goes into blight because the government could have figured out you and could have done prevented things. But they didn't because they wanted to respect your privacy. Um, imagine those pe- asking those people, what's the value of if you gave me your data, I could have done this. Um, and on the other hand, you know, pri- uh, private data can also be used to, to hurt people. And so you basically get this trade-off between what's called privacy and utility. And as a society, we have to figure out where we want to be in this spectrum, which, um, and we have to design laws uh, and policies to, to make sure that we're doing the right balance uh, where we're protecting the privacy of people, but we're also providing them services that could benefit them. Um, and the nice thing is that when you're talking about using data for, for things that people care about, the, the, the spectrum is, is a little different, and people might prefer to be a little bit on the utility side, whereas if you're talking about, you know, the useless problems, I don't want to give SAP or Amazon or Google uh, and Facebook my data so they can sell me something I don't need, right? And so I think we're hoping that, that the the laws are subtle enough, nuanced enough, as, as um, Doug was talking about around HIPAA, For the right kind of utility, the privacy slider can go a little, you know, the security needs to be there, but I can get a little bit more data. For the useless problems, I should have more control individually about what I do with my data.
1: Thank you, Ray. I'm going to take that as your predictions because we, we, we did have a future focus from you. So let's do that so we're almost out of time. I'm going to go to Joe Walsh. Joe, your predictions, anything forward-looking in terms of social good, data science, uh, the purpose of all of this collaboration, privacy laws, anything and everything? I'm going to give you, well, let's say a minute, minute to half, and a half to wrap up. So what is your future view for all of this, Joe?
3: Uh, when it comes to data science for social good, uh, that's definitely a trend that I think is going to continue. is going to be bigger uh, three to four years from now than it is. Um, if you look at DSSG over the past few years, I think two years ago, we had 350 applications for the program. Uh, we increased the requirements that it takes to apply, and then we got 800 applications. So the The interest that's being shown um, from students is certainly growing. Um, Partners last year, we scoped about 150 projects to find 12. Um, So there are lots of organizations that are also really interested in this work. Um, I would expect that to continue. And as uh, organizations, cities, nonprofits, uh, state and federal governments, um, as they see other uh, entities benefiting from this type of work, Uh, they're also going to begin to adopt uh, these types of approaches to solve their problems.
1: Joe, do you think data scientists will be a sexy job that will attract a lot of young people?
3: Sure. Uh, I don't know if it'll be called data science because um, that that term is becoming so broad. Um, Maybe we'll come up with new sexy terms. But um, I think that using data uh, computation, substantive expertise to solve these problems, um, yes, that will be. Uh, bigger yeah. and bigger.
1: Good. Thank you very much. And Doug Freud in Taipei. My goodness, it's almost uh, midnight there for you. So before you before you yawn and nod off, we'd like to know what are your predictions. I can give you about a minute and a half. Doug, what do you see coming down the pike for data science for social good? What, what's your pleasure here?
2: So
4: um, I, <laughs> I, I, my my big my. My big prediction, I think, is, is simply that, that things that we don't think of as data are going to be commonly used as data. And those are going to be pictures and, and sounds and, and video. And we're going to figure out a way, you know, simple ways to transform that into data that then we can use for, for data science. So I think that trend is going to become mainstream in the next five years. In terms of data science for social good, I, th- I, think, it, 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 it's, I, I think it's going to become a, an, an exciting opportunity for lots of people to get experience doing this. And uh, I, I, I see that progressive uh, non-for-profits and government agencies will, will seize upon these type of people, and uh, I think I think has a very bright future.
1: Thank you very much to all of you. I want to do a shout-out to my three wonderful panelists. We had Raed Ghani and Joe Walsh at the University of Chicago, Center for Data Science and Public Policy, Doug Freud at SAP calling all the way from Taipei. You're our first one. And I have some predictions of my uh, first one from Japan in a long time. I have some predictions. Uh, our new lineup, wow, we're going to have 12 series on air all at the same time, taking turns in various time slots. Tuesday mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern, we will rotate social selling with Game Changers one week, followed by the Future of the Future brand new show the following week followed by the future of cars I think somebody mentioned that on this show with Game Changers and finally in that lineup extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers and we will make it interesting and sexy I promise Tuesdays at noon we'll have digital industries changing the game we'll have business network innovation with Game Changers season 2 and financial excellence with Game Changers very popular series focused on the CIO and that will be season 5 Wednesdays of course my flag show coffee break with game changers and thursdays here we are future of business with game changers innovating innovation with game changers meet the visionary game changers and today's show shout out to ira burke internet of things with game changers so i'm bonnie d graham shout out to justin our engineer at world talk radio and thank you to ira burke and steven sparrow and social good folks for tweeting along with me today here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. Do good Stay safe. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Talk to you soon on Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.